The scripture reading today is from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 16. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear food, fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is God's word. You may be seated. Thank you, Russ. Good morning. I am grateful for the opportunity to stand before you this morning. I'm grateful to our elders, my fellow elders, uh, ministerial staff, and certainly to Mark Ampshire for giving me this opportunity this morning. The primary scriptural text, which serves as the foundational basis for a message this morning, Russ just read, uh, and I... I selected this particular passage because it is one that's near and dear to my heart. Several years ago, uh, I was lost in sin, and uh, I had no idea uh, from the standpoint of this passage, and it's just one that is very meaningful to me. But before uh, getting into my lesson <clears throat> this morning, uh, as always, we want to go to our Father in prayer. So if you would join me, I'd appreciate it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We come to you this morning in the name of Jesus as we enter into this time of study. Please provide each of us an extra measure of your Holy Spirit that we may receive from this lesson what you intend. And as our brother Mark is fond of saying, please give us eyes to see, and ears to hear. And may we have the courage always to not just merely listen or read your word, listen to or read your word, but to put it into practice. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. A major portion of my lesson this morning pertains to following Jesus and living out His will in our lives. Simply stated, I intend to talk about discipleship. In a world where there are billions of people who simply do not know our God or our Lord, it's very important that we who do uh, be about the business of sharing the good news of Jesus with a lost and dying world. In many ways, you can say that we're on Jesus' team. And that's probably why you're wondering, what you're wondering, what does this, all these um, uh, footballs and uh, base, baseball bat and glove have to do with? Uh, it's just a slide that uh, I came up with uh, that makes the point that discipleship 
requires a team effort. We are in this together. As a child growing up, and even into my adult years, I was never good at sports. My, my parents were against uh, us kids uh, being involved in public recreation uh, because of uh, the particular religious group that they uh, were part of at the time. They thought that it was not good for us to participate in public sports. And they used the passage of Scripture, Psalm 1-1, to justify why we couldn't go to public events, couldn't go to the uh, movie shows, as we used to call them, to the theaters, uh, and so on. It was difficult for us kids because we certainly wanted to be in the in crowd. Fortunately for me, there was a friend who knew I wasn't very good at playing sports. You know how it is on the playground, at least I think it's still that way, where whenever you're going to play a particular sports, you line up and somebody chooses you. Well, often I was the last to be chosen because they knew my sporting skills uh, were lacking. But fortunately, there was a, a friend of mine. His name is Raymond, Raymond Payne. He's gone now. He always chose me. Uh, he would always say, uh, Everett, you're, you're my number one pick. Uh, and it felt good uh, to be chosen. And I'm just uh, thankful for Raymond. And I'm thankful for the fact that I recognize that even if you are not the best sportsman uh, of all, God still loves you. <laughs> John Ronald Rule Tolkien, a famous English writer, poet, and university professor in the early 19th century, once wrote, You have chosen, you have been chosen, and you must therefore use such strength and heart and wits as you have. Mr. Tolkien, although his words are not directly out of the Bible, they have a lot of merit. In our main scripture text today, Jesus tells his disciples he wants each and every one of them to be on his team. And he provides them a way to participate, how to make the work that they need to do happen. In fact, he informs them that he not only wants them to be on his team, but that he wants every person born to man, every offspring, now and forevermore, to be on his team. There are conditions, however, to joining and enjoying and remaining on God's team, and Jesus provides insight to his disciples in this regard. Jesus makes us aware that there are benefits to be gained, by embracing and obeying his instructions beyond the pleasure of knowing we're doing the right things. He, in effect, says if they remain in him, there will be mutual admiration and mutual joy. Let's go to the words of Jesus in John 15 that Russ read and just read it once again as a matter of emphasis. As the Father has loved me, so I, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's command 
and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Verses 1 through 8 of John 15 really set the stage for verses 9 through 11. And these earlier verses introduce the idea of remaining in, excuse me, of remaining in Jesus and the reciprocal relationship he has with his Father, also our Father, and the reciprocal relationship we have with him, our Lord and Savior, if we remain in him. He uses the imagery of the grapevine, pointing out that he is, he is the vine, God the Father is the gardener, and we, Jesus' disciples, the branches. He points out that each of us and our different stations are essentially interconnected and related that we must remain together for survival and for effectiveness. God the Father is the gardener, and in that capacity, he is the life source. Concurrently, Jesus is the lifeline connected to the Father, and the disciples, that's us too, are to produce the fruit this union, both with God and Jesus, desire. What they desire is fruit of the highest quality, fruit that will not spoil, but rather continues to last. More than that, if we don't stay connected and bear fruit, we will become disconnected branches from Jesus' perspective and from God's perspective, and will be cut off, Jesus says, and discarded. He points out that the sustaining and remaining connection must be continuing. That is, it is an ongoing reciprocal relationship. At this point, I believe it's necessary to refer back to what John writes about what Jesus says in John 15th chapter, verses 1 through 8. If you have your Bibles, you would go to John 15 with me. We'll begin our reading in verse 1. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it, it will even be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. 
apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown in the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. In verses 9 through 11, Jesus provides us with insights as to why he is being so emphatic and why these instructions are not only important, heartfelt, and life-sustaining. It is because of Jesus and the Father's love for his disciples, for us and everyone else. Let's read verses 9 through 11 again. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be incomplete. Unfortunately, sometimes we don't understand why we are not happy. Why there's not that internal joy. Sometimes we wake up and some days we we feel kind of blah. Part of the reason is we have not remained connected to our Lord, who obviously is continually connected to the Father in heaven. In fact, the Hebrew writer tells us that he is seated at the right hand of God, making intercession for us. Jesus talks a lot about love in this passage. And of course, he tells his disciples over and over again that he loves them. There's a popular singer, I think she's still popular, uh, Tina Turner, who had a song that she put out, and some of the words in that song said, What's love got to do with it? She even went on to say that love is nothing else other than a second-hand emotion. I won't go on to tell you the rest of what she says. I'll tell you this, that she's wrong, because love has everything to do with it. And as we love our Lord, and we love what He loves, we're going to act differently. We're going to change our behavior. We're going to be interested in doing what He wants us to do. And we're going to love people like he loves people. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, verse 1, If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. I don't know if Tina Turner were to read that, what she would think about that. But, I know this, that love is what matters. Love is what Jesus is talking about. And he is making the point that because God loves the world so much that he wants his disciples to be about the business of producing fruit. In 
1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, Paul writes, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Our love for God and His Son Jesus isn't something that just happens. We have to work at it. And so from reading our text, we learn that we are chosen to undergo a life-changing process. Series of actions and occurrences for the benefit of positive change. And this change takes place as a result of our maintaining a reciprocal, obedient, loving relationship with God, the gardener, Jesus, the vine, and we, his disciples, who are the branches. In other words, there's a process, a change that's taking place. The change agents, God, our obedience, you and me, his disciples. My brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, we must realize this is not the case of a want-to kind of thing. It's not a case of, well, we're privileged to do what we want to do. It's a case that we have to make the effort. This is not a cakewalk. Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, in Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 3, writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We are chosen to become a blessing. We are blessed for our purpose and chosen for our purpose. We are chosen in Christ because we are His workmanship. We must remember the loving, reciprocal relationship we must maintain between us, God, and the Father, and each other. As Christians, believers in Christ, we must acknowledge and remember the mutual interdependence and that it exists. In John 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus says, Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. What's interesting about what Jesus is saying here is that all of this is possible. I'm not giving you a task to perform that you're unable to perform. I'm in this with you. Stay close to me, and everything's going to work out all right. It is as if Jesus were saying, hey, guys, there's only one way this is going to work well. That is, if you realize we are in this together, and in this regard, you must recognize our interdependence. Interdependence means relying on mutual assistance without which one or more of the desired results cannot be attained. And so the heart of the matter is 
the matter of the heart. This is a life-changing process which requires an in-depth, reciprocal relationship. Not just casual, not just a mere affiliation, but a continuing, vibrant, mutual friendship. I used to have a poster in one of the rooms I taught in here. It was uh, a little boy who uh, uh, we placed on the wall. And the comment next to him went something like this. Yard by yard is hard. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. What we need to realize is that if we are asked to provide an account of what is in the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and we are tasked to do that, or that's in our mind, that's what we're tasked to do, we're not going to make the effort because it's going to be overwhelming. But if we have our daily Bible readings, if we have those daily prayers often, it's amazing what can happen. This is a life-changing process. I used to, used to uh, think as a young Christian that uh, I just couldn't measure up. But what I found out is with God all things are possible. Everybody listens You've heard to W-I-I-F-M. What's in it for me? Well, what we must remember is that there are benefits from serving the Lord in this life. And the life to come, there's going to be tremendous benefits if we remain faithful and obedient to God's Word. There's a lot to be gained. What are the benefits? Friendship with God and Jesus and the gaining of physical and spiritual fruit, fruit that will last. Fruit that will last. For obedient believers in Christ, there's a lot, there's much to be gained. Our part as disciples and friends is opportunity. In Colossians, the third chapter, verses 23 through 24, the Apostle Paul writes, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. We work for Him. We must continually learn, know, and conduct the master's business. We must actively and continuously love God and His Son. We must actively and continuously obey the Father and the Son. And we must faithfully remain in His love. You've heard it before. You've read it before. Ask and you shall receive. Until now, 
You've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. John, the 16th chapter and verse 24. Words of our Lord. Bearing fruit is necessary to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes this very clear in this particular passage. Jesus says, glorifying God by bearing fruit is the mark of a disciple, is the mark of discipleship. John, the 15th chapter and verse 8. In John, the 15th chapter and verse 16, Jesus says, as disciples, you are appointed to bear fruit. And he lets his disciples know that this is not a choice that you have. This is a choice that I'm making. Can you imagine how it would be if it was us who was doing the choosing? Uh, we'd be in bad shape. Uh, but we have someone who is the Son of God, who has the closest connection to God, who is with us. Remaining in Christ is contingent upon bearing fruit. Without being connected to the vine, the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, in and of itself. John 15:4. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Okay, Everett, we got it. Why do you keep saying that? I keep saying that because it continues. Not only does it continue to need to be said, it needs to continue to be done. The Apostle Paul in Philippians, the fourth chapter, verse 13, writes, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Do we really believe that passage? In 2 Corinthians, the third chapter, verse 5, realizing that remaining in Christ was the key, Paul wrote, Now that we are competent in ourselves to claim, now that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, let me read that one more time, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. How can we remain in Christ? First of all, we need to get into Christ by putting Him on in baptism. Acts, the second chapter, verses 37 and 38. Romans, the sixth chapter, verses 3 through 9. Galatians, the third chapter, verse 27. Then we remain in His love through keeping His commandments. John 15, verses 9 through 10. John 14, 15, verses 21 through 23 also. How is bearing fruit demonstrated? Ah. It's, it's demonstrated in a variety, a variety of ways. First of all, it's demonstrated in being a soul winner. Winning souls to Christ, as expressed by Paul in his desire to go to Rome. In Romans, the first chapter, verse 13, he writes, I do not want to be unaware... Brothers, that I plan many times to come to you, but I have prevented, been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. 
sharing with those in need is a way to bear and manifest fruit. Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, writes, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's important for us to realize that displaying and developing Christ-like character is a way to manifest fruit. And you can tell when someone is manifesting the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, verses 22-23, Paul writes, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, against such things, there is no law. Being diligent in our effort to read the Bible, to learn more about God and His will for our lives, and what we should and should not do is bearing fruit. Peter, in writing to the church in first in Second Peter, first chapter verses five through eight, says this For this very reason make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self control, and to self control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love, for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we bear fruit in these different ways, we not only glorify God and prove to be faithful and fruitful disciples, we also experience the abundant life Jesus speaks about in John the 10th chapter and verse 10. For he says, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Winning souls produces joy. I can't think of anything more joyful than seeing someone coming up out of that baptistry, having had their sins washed away and able to walk in the newness of life. Paul found this to be the case with the church at Thessalonica, as our brother Kevin Witham talked about this past Wednesday. And John realized that this was the case for all of God's children. Why is fruit-bearing and discipleship so important? Necessary, first of all, to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. It's necessary to be a fulfilled disciple of Jesus Christ. If you desire to be both Faithful and fulfilled, we must remain in Him by keeping His commands, producing fruit that glorifies our Father in heaven. In John 15, verse 8, once again, Jesus says, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. There is not anyone that I know of that will say, this particular passage in embracing it and carrying it out is easy. There are some hindrances, and we need to be ever aware of those hindrances. First, uh, there's, a, there's Satan. 
he's always around. And we have to recognize that we sometimes are disobedient and others are disobedient as a result of what we ask them to do or not do. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, a very familiar passage of Scripture, Peter writes, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. The interesting is that often we will say, Lord this and Lord that, and represent ourselves as being his disciples. But are we always about his business? As Jesus said to his parents when he was lost, they thought, and they found him after being away for three days. And he said, did you not know that I'd be about my father's business? In Luke, the sixth chapter, verse 46, you can see it on the screen. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? Another thing that holds us back is fear. Fear, unfortunately, it can immobilize us. Remember Moses, when he went up on Mount Sinai, when, when God told him that he was going to be his deliverer in Egypt? You know, he, he began to stutter and stammer and, uh, and uh, as the, the kids would say, cop a plea. He uh, said he was not eloquent of speech. Yet if you read Acts, the seventh chapter, and verse 22, we can see that Moses, when he was in Egypt under Pharaoh's household, that he was most eloquent in speech. Forty years in the wilderness and time spent knowing how powerful Pharaoh was and knowing what God was telling him to do, he was fearful. Gene Getz has written a book on Moses, and he has a chapter, and in that chapter it says, we have to be careful of the immobilizing power of an inferiority complex. Jesus makes it clear in the Sermon on the Mount. The last part of that chapter, verse 26-27, He says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew, and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In John fifteen sixteen, once again, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and pointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Notwithstanding this reciprocal relationship, we must realize that opportunity begets responsibility, and responsibility begets accountability. The Apostle Paul puts it this way in Ephesians, the second chapter, verses, uh, 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 verse uh, 10. He says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The Apostle Peter writes to the Christians of his day and ours, he says, But you are a chosen people 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of his, out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once again, the words of Christ concerning our mutual relationship with Father and the Son. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. No one wants fruit that will spoil. And everyone needs to be aware of how they can be the kind of fruit that Jesus wants them to be. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth. Glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings on earth. Fasting alone in the desert, tell of the days that are past, how for our sins he was tempted, yet was triumphant at last. Tell of the years of his labor, tell of the sorrow he bore, he was despised and afflicted, homeless, rejected, and poor. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he lives again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Tell me the story of Jesus. Write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. I have chosen you to go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. This morning, there may be some in our audience who have never put on our Lord in baptism who recognize that they're not the kind of fruit that they need to be. And we want to extend an invitation for you to come this morning to recognize that you can become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And not only can you be one, you can be about the business of bearing fruit and winning others to Christ. We know that there's others who might have a particular need that they want the church to know about or a particular sin they wish to confess. Whatever your need, we want you to come as together we stand and sing. Create.